Welcome to Amplify, a podcast that gives marginalized communities and diverse people a platform to share their story and reclaim their narrative. When you uplift a woman or when you pass laws that pertain to women, it's not just, it doesn't just affect that woman, but women, we're connectors. We uplift the entire community and our family with us. I think the thing that's on everyone's mind right now is the 2020 election. It's in under a month. And it really makes me think of what exactly voter turnout was like in past election seasons. And so I kind of scoured the internet a little bit and I found some statistics. So I saw that in 2018 in the primary election, in my county specifically in Indiana, there was around like a 10% voter turnout, but we had like most of the county that was registered. People just weren't showing up to the polls. And you could see that same consistency in other primary elections in 2014. In 2016, because it was a presidential election, we do expect voter turnout to be a little bit higher. And we saw around a 30% voter turnout. Again, we have a lot of people registered. We're just not getting people out to the polls. And we want to make sure really that our vote matters right now with coronavirus. There's just so much uncertainty about whether or not it's safe to go out to polls or whether or not we should be filling out absentee ballots. And so there's just some things to keep in mind in order to make your vote matter. So there's a lot of early voting centers right now that you can go to in order to not go on November 3rd when the polls are crowded. Make sure to mask up, stay socially distanced, and just make sure that you're aware of the political candidates that you want to vote for and have done the proper research for them as well. I think another thing that we have to keep in mind if we're doing absentee ballots is that there's a lot of things that make absentee ballots invalid too. You know, making sure that you use the proper pen color, making sure how you fill in the bubbles, matching your signature with your driver's license, how we close the ballot. I think another thing we have to keep in mind this election season is women's rights have always been affected and it's going to be even more highly affected during this election season. If you think about a lot of times within the workplace, women either are relieved from their jobs once they're pregnant or once they come back from maternity leave. And there's a lot of other issues regarding the pay gap between men and women as well. And even more so, women didn't get the right to vote till 1920, and that was white women. And most women didn't get the right to vote till 1965. So please show up to the polls and really make your vote count. And so today we're actually here with Rima Shahid. She is the executive director of Women for Change. And we're going to be talking about all these issues. We're going to be talking about the 2020 election. We're going to be talking about women's rights, specifically Indiana, voter turnout in Indiana, and what Women for Change is doing about all of these issues. Before you enjoy the episode, we ask that you please support this podcast by sharing it with your friends and family and let us know what you think by leaving us a review and what you want to hear more on the podcast. Our message is to amplify the voices of marginalized and diverse communities. Just remember, it is most impactful when diverse people share their own narrative. Welcome to Amplify, Rima. It's so nice to have you. Thank you for having me on. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. 
Yeah, of course. It was so nice to connect to you. I've been a family friend of Kulsum since I was really young, and I'm so glad she connected us to be able to have this conversation. So can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? I would be happy to, yes. And a big thank you to Kulsum. I think that's something, you know, just today's conversation is a great example how women are great connectors to other people. So my name is Rima Shahid. I am the executive director of an organization that's located here in Indiana. It's called Women for Change. I'm a born Hoosier, born and raised here in Indiana, and I have three children. And I, after I graduated, I spent about 11 years living in Bahrain. I'd never been to Bahrain before, and there I was with a tiny little baby finding myself in this country. Spent 11 years there where I worked for for part of that time as the trade development officer and cultural attache at the Pakistan embassy. And around six years ago, I found myself back home again in Indiana, as the song goes, on the banks of the Wabash, and really quickly reconnected and served as the executive director of the Muslim Alliance of Indiana for a couple of years, and then later made that transition over to Women for Change. So that's just a little bit about me in, in a nutshell, I guess you could say. I don't really meet many fellow Hoosiers. Most of the people I have on the podcast are not Hoosiers, and especially like Muslim. So it's awesome to connect with you and meet like a fellow Hoosier Muslim. So you mentioned that you are the executive director currently for Women for Change. And so can you tell us a little bit about the organization and its mission and exactly why did you want to get involved in this type of organization? Yeah, for sure. I think for me, it it's important to be part of an organization where I can uplift not just myself and those that are similar to me, American Muslims, but also so many others. Um, Women, we represent about 51 to 52% of Indiana's population. And so if you think about it, we are the majority of people. And throughout my time here at Women for Change, what I've come to understand is that a lot of our laws here in Indiana, and even on a federal level, may not support Hoosier women women from Indiana. And that's why it's so important. I think that representation matters. I think it's important to have diverse voices at the table. Our mission here at Women for Change is to educate, equip, and mobilize women to create positive change in Indiana. And we do that through civics education, programming, outreach, get out the vote. We also look at laws that affect women in Indiana and see how can we make a positive difference in changing some of those laws. Now, we are a nonpartisan grassroots organization, which means that we really have to work across the aisle sometimes with people that we may not agree with. But what I'll tell you, Summer, is that here at a local state level, you'll see more and more lawmakers work in a bipartisan manner to get the job done. I think that it's important that we point out, you know, amidst this pandemic, women make up your majority of your healthcare heroes and your frontline workers. We are essentially, women are risking their lives every single day to give, you know, population the goods and services we need, whether that being at the grocery store, 
or in a hospital setting, majority of your women or your frontline workers are women. And so it's so important that we have laws that uplift those same people that risk their lives. Laws like paid family leave, reasonable pregnancy accommodations, FMLA, and so on and so forth. We can't expect people to keep doing what they're doing day in and day out without having laws that protect them and uplift them. And I think that's really, really important. That's why I'm really proud to be serving in this capacity right now. I know the women in Indiana appreciate the work that your organization is doing and women in general. I know you touched a lot about what your organization does for women in Indiana. Can you touch a little bit more of why do you think this organization needs to exist for women in Indiana, especially? So again, I think that while it's important to have allies, we, one organization should be the one, you know, for example, you are advocating for Muslim issues. It's important to have Muslims around the table, right? There's your allies can only get you so far. If you are advocating for folks that are teachers, it's important that you have teachers around the table. Just like I mentioned, Indiana, we represent, women represent between 51 to 52% of the state's population, but women only represent about 20.7% of the state's legislature. And so that's so important that we have more women in the state house advocating for issues. What we also know is that when you uplift a woman or when you pass laws that pertain to women, it's not just, it doesn't just affect that woman, but women, like we noticed with Kulsum, we're connectors. We uplift the entire community and our family with us. And that's so important that we had an organization that did that. And so that's why I think it's really important for Women for Change to be around today. 2020 is the year that we commemorated that the 19th Amendment passed. And while it gave some women the right to vote, it wasn't until 1965 with the Voter Rights Act that gave all women the right to vote. And I say that because voter suppression still exists today. There are still people that are disenfranchised. And again, when one woman votes, she just doesn't vote herself. If she's a mother, she's showing her kids to be active civic members, but also her family and her friends. And here in Indiana, although some women were granted the right to vote 100 years ago, we're one of the few states where we've never had a woman governor. We've never had federally women senators. And still, like I said, we only represent about 20.7% of the state legislature. And so it's so important for women to be involved and engaged, to be equipped, and then hopefully down the line to run for office. What we know of women legislators is that the top three issues that they focus on are civil rights, education, and health care. And that's healthcare for all. They work across the aisle to get things done. And they do so, like I said, in a very bipartisan way. It's so important to do that. And so I think that's why Women for Change and the work that we do is so important right now. I love you were talking about like how women are not really represented in the political system, which kind of leads me to my next question. So how do you think the 2016 presidential campaign inspired the start for Women for Change? I was reading a little bit about your guys' history, and that kind of struck me as something that was very interesting about it. Yeah, thank you. So again, I think what people have to remember is that we are a nonpartisan organization. We did start after the 2016 presidential election because our co-founders, Rabbi Sandy Sasso and Jennifer Williams, 
felt that there was a loss of civility in how we spoke to one another and how the presidential candidates spoke to one another, debated, and the rhetoric that continued through November 2016. What I can say is that things have not changed in that regard. I think that that we're still very much there with how the organization got started. Our first meeting when they were just feeling that hopelessness because of how people were just speaking to one another about one another. They felt that, you know, 25 people were going to be there, 50 people were going to be there, and 800 women showed up. And that's when they knew they were onto something. The first meeting of the organization that followed was in February of 2017, where close to 1,100 women showed up. And since then, we formed a board. We've acquired our 501c3 status, and I'm the first executive director of the organization. I love what you said about how like the presidential candidates interacted with each other in the civility and how nothing much has changed. I'm sure you probably watched the presidential debate that recently occurred and kind of the rhetoric that was used there. And like you said, definitely not much has changed. And a lot of people are actually creating like parodies of making fun of what happened because of how unprofessional the talking was. So how do you think the momentum of the organization is picking up during this election season? So yeah, again, our main focus is here in Indiana and looking at laws that affect women here in Indiana, not as much on the federal level, but we do engage on a federal level as well. Here in Indiana, thanks to Kulsum and around 500 volunteers, I'm so excited that we are planning and with the hope of our amazing volunteers on engaging 400,000 Hoosiers to get to the polls. 400,000 Hoosiers would mean about roughly 10% of all registered people in Indiana. And we're doing so with an issue-based campaign. We're not talking about any candidates. We're not talking about any parties. But what we are talking about are issues that we think are really important. Issues like consent legislation. I want to be mindful of the audience. And and if you have young people around, maybe ask them to step away for just a moment. But here in Indiana, we lack consent legislation, which means that we are fourth highest in the nation as far as sexual assault among high school girls. That's four, like the number fourth highest in the nation. And it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you sit on. When you're talking about sexual assault among high school girls, that should spring everybody into action. We're talking about the fact that Indiana has actually widened the pay gap and it'll be 2083 before Caucasian women make the same as Caucasian men. And when you go down the line to different ethnicities, that number is even more staggering. We're talking about voter access and the fact that we are, for as far as voter registration for 18 and 19-year-olds, dead last in the nation. And those are the issues that I think that people need to know about and get engaged about. If you want to learn more about these issues, we have a comprehensive and interactive voter guide, which you can find on our website. That Voter Guide will also allow you, with the touch of a button, to call select candidates and ask them where they stand on the issues. By word and definition, representative should represent you and your family. And so you have that right as an American citizen to ask these folks, what do you think about these laws? And are you ready to make a difference and make a change that we so badly need here? And so, again, I would encourage you to look at that voter guide to interact with it. There's statistics, data, key terms, 
and call the candidates and ask them where they fall on an issue. It's so important that we engage now. If your schedule has a little bit of flexibility, I know that we're all really busy. We live in busy times. But if you have some time, please, please, please consider volunteering. We need your help to reach 400,000 Hoosiers this election season. I was not aware of some of those facts that you stated, especially of women, especially with voter registration. I'm trying to understand some things. Are you saying that there's only 10% of Hoosiers are registered and that you want to get them out to vote? Or is that's just the demographic you're trying to reach? Our goal is to reach 400,000 Hoosiers. 400,000 Hoosiers is roughly 10% of all registered voters in Indiana. I also agree with what you were saying, like with young people, like 18 to 19 year olds. I, I shared this story in a previous podcast, but I can attest to what you're saying. You think that young people would be the ones that are very invigorated about making change. You expect those people to be at polls wanting to vote and make that change. But those are the people that are actually not going out to the polls. I remember a story. I was in my freshman year of college and our professor, it was during the 2016 election, and the professor asked how many people voted in the recent election. And there's probably maybe 40 people in that class and only around four people raised their hand. So around 10% of us only voted in that class. So I'm wondering what you can do exactly to invigorate that change in young people. I'm not sure if you've ever heard this, and I also shared this in a previous podcast, but people were saying if young people were so much more invigorated, like how they are on Twitter about everything that's going on in the world and voting and political candidate, then we would see real change. How do you feel like we can bring that change out to young people now? Like how can we get them off their devices, off social media, trying to make that change and actually go out and do something, like do action? Yeah, I think that um, your point is well taken. I'll also say that there's a lot of criticism of young folks, but the truth is young folks are in school or they're you know, going out in very early in their career, and that doesn't allow for a lot of flexibility in their schedule. Our state house and legislators, they meet Monday through Thursday during the day when people are not able to come out and engage. And so for people that can't come to the state house or rally or see that change firsthand, it may be a little hard for them to see themselves there. Also, like I said, representation matters. And when you don't see yourself represented in government, you also need to take a step back. I also think that our lawmakers need to do a better job of engaging with these folks beyond election years. Because what young people have to say is so important. We see that in our state, we see that in our nation, and even globally, you see how young people have really mobilized and made positive change for so many, you know? And so I think that's really important that we recognize those shortcomings of young people, but also recognize that the process is not that friendly to them. It's hard to find information. It's hard to connect with your elected officials and candidates. And so I think both parties can do a better job of trying to engage with each other. I will also say, you know, there's a lot of criticism of millennials. I'm an older millennial myself. And, you know, previous generations, they they can do a better job of passing that baton and engaging folks past tokenization because young people are smart and they can really see when you're not being very genuine with them 
and you're just trying to tokenize them. If you are looking for a meaningful way to get involved, there are a variety of nonprofits here in Indiana and, and across the United States that advocate for issues. So if you're a little bit still weary of the political process, I would encourage you to get involved with a nonprofit and maybe get your foot in the door that way. At Women for Change, we're always looking for volunteers and folks to help us, not just because you're young, but because what you have to say is important. The skills that you have are important, and we'd like for you to share those with us. But again, there are a variety of nonprofits and candidates. So start getting involved, and you'll see yourself in that representation, and you may encourage a next generation behind you by doing so. People having representation on the table, seeing people that look like them encourages them to do work. And when our government system doesn't support people that maybe look like us, people of color, Black people, then it doesn't encourage them to contribute to the system that they grew up in. I had somebody who's an executive director of a nonprofit here in Evansville, where I'm from, and he said a lot of the people that he grew up with, a lot of the Black people that he grew up with, he saw a lot of people leaving because they weren't getting that support for the efforts that they were trying to do, and they felt like they could contribute to a system elsewhere. What has been obstacles in your organization? I think a lack of information. I think, as you mentioned, you know, you're a little surprised by some of the statistics and, and information that I've shared. And that's not, that's something that we hear time and time again. I'm not blaming folks for not knowing that because it is hard to find information. And so a lack of public awareness plus a lack of way to disseminate that information. What I do find is when people learn about some of the statistics and information that I share, they are inspired to get involved and they're inspired to take action. But that's something that's been really tough for us is to navigate. If you're looking for information, if you're looking for things that I've shared, please do visit our website and the issue-based voting guide because we've really tried to put together comprehensive information that we think matters to people and that will inspire folks. I will definitely check that out and I'll definitely share with family and friends and make sure that when we're voting, we're aware and we're aware of what's going on within our own state. And I appreciate you guys making those guides and educating all of us as well with them. So what efforts are you guys working on right now at Women for Change and why do you guys find these especially important? So the policy issues that we're really focused on right now are the lack of consent legislation, as I mentioned. You know, I think the fact that Indiana ranks fourth highest in the nation, sexual assault among high school girls is something that horrifies me, not just as a woman, not just as a mother, but just a concerned citizen. Voter access, the fact that Registration among 18 and 19-year-olds were dead last in the nation. We are also, Brennan Center for Justice has identified Indiana as one of the most highly and heavily partisan gerrymandered states in the nation. We have to make sure that our maps are drawn by an independent commission so that they can truly represent people in their communities voter access as a whole. We're also worried about the maternal infant mortality here in Indiana. I think that a lot of folks would be horrified to learn that our infant maternal mortality here in Indiana, it ranks at par with Gaza, where there's 
an ongoing war. You know, some folks, some women, they have to drive far distances just to get hospital and the care that they need. So it's really important that we do that. We're also focused on women's economic stability and within that paid family leave, reasonable pregnancy accommodations, time off, and the pandemic has just really shown how brought these issues to the forefront and shown how important it is that we pass these laws that are so, so important to our state and the future of our state. And a lot of what you were saying resonated with me. I was personally a public health major in college, and I was very aware of the infant mortality rate, and especially access to healthcare services and transportation was huge barriers for people receiving any type of care. I was also involved in a free multi-specialty clinic here in my city, and a lot of barriers to care that people weren't able to come was because of transportation that they lived in rural communities or they lived in very small towns that maybe were an hour out and they would either have to drive to get there or they simply not come to their appointments because it was just too far for them to come. And so I really do appreciate you addressing issues like that because I don't think people realize how big of an issue those types of things are for people. So you mentioned a little bit about how people can volunteer and get involved with Women for Change. Can What else can they do with your guys' organization? How can they get involved now if they want to help with the election season or beyond that? Thank you. Again, please follow us on social media. We are at Women for Change Indiana on Facebook and Instagram. Our Twitter handle is W4CI. Please follow us because we do regularly share action alerts and updates. Please subscribe to our newsletter. You can do that by logging in at womenforchangeindiana.org. Consider being an action advocate. Once we get into the legislative session here in Indiana, we do need people's help to take action. What we hear from lawmakers time and time again is that my constituents don't care about a certain issue. The fact is, is that their constituents may not know about a certain issue. And so we do share timely information, action alerts, opportunities to testify and make their voice heard. You can sign up to be an action advocate on our website as well. Interact with our issue-based voting guide. Share that with family and friends so that they can learn about these issues when and get in, educated and informed on them before going to the polls. Lastly, register to vote. And I will also end with, if I know that times are tough right now, and um, for millions of Americans, we are experiencing economic hardships. But if you have a little bit um, in mind to give, please consider giving to Women for Change Indiana. We do rely on small donors and individuals like yourselves to help us achieve our ambitious goals and mission. I was recently listening to a a podcast. I'm a big fan of podcasts. And they were talking about how in terms of philanthropy, when you think about your philanthropic giving for the year of 2020, whatever that amount was, take 40% of that and give it to organizations, work to create systematic change. And those are organizations like Women for Change. So again, I know that for millions of Americans, we're going through economic hardships right now. But if you do have, I'm planning to give, please consider giving to Women for Change. We really appreciate your support. And one thing you can do to help is to register to vote. So today's October 5th, which I believe in Indiana is the last day to register to vote here. So unfortunately, this podcast episode is going to be up a couple of weeks later. So I'm hoping you guys register to vote. And if you are fearful of going to the polls because of coronavirus, 
you still have time to request an absentee ballot and send those out so you could still make your vote count even if you don't want to go in person. I will also say if you are not eligible to request that absentee ballot, unfortunately, Indiana, there was a list of requirements to request that absentee ballot. Treat November 3rd as your deadline and vote early. We all know that weather is unpredictable, whether here in Indiana or in other states, weather can always be unpredictable. We're in the middle of a pandemic and flu season. Do not wait until November 3rd. Go early if you can, if your schedule permits, go early and vote. Prioritize that on your to-do list because it's so important that you get your vote out. Don't wait. Don't stand in line for a very long time. Consider weather and other things that may change the course of your vote plan and get that ballot and cast it as soon as you can. And there's so many early voting centers, like she said, I wouldn't wait until November 3rd because you really just don't know what's going to happen, what the state of everything, what would happen maybe with your own health. So the earlier you do it, the better. And if you were able to request an absentee ballot, then there's also make sure that you read about what makes your absentee ballot ineligible. There's very many things that if you do it, then it's possibly they won't count your vote as well, whether it's how you fill in the candidates that you want, how you sign your absentee ballot. So just make sure that you're aware of all those things so that your vote counts. I know you also mentioned a lot of where they can find you guys to be able to volunteer. Is there any other social media or ways that they can contact Women for Change or you? Absolutely. Yeah, I think the best way to do that would be to follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, LinkedIn. You can also go to our website. If you have a question, you can send it to us through the website. We are and do try our best to be as responsive as possible. For information on the judges that we're going to be voting on here in Indiana, to some of the statistics that I talked about, what you can and can't wear to the polls, everything that that a voter may think of or need to know before going to the polls, we have on our website. When we get into session, we will be posting regular legislative blogs on the bills that we're following, as well as action alerts. So please continue to engage with us. We are a nonpartisan grassroots organization, and we can only do our work through your support and engagement. Thank you so much, Rima, for being on the podcast. And we appreciate all the work the organization Women for Change and you are doing. Thank you for having me. It's been such a pleasure. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for the work that you're doing with the podcast and uplifting important issues. So encouraging. And I'm a big fan of podcasts. So I really love the work that you're doing. Please continue to engage with us. And if we can ever be of assistance, please feel free to reach out to us. Yeah, of course. Thank you again. Will 2020 be the year that everything changes regarding voting? If we're looking now, we haven't hit November 3rd yet, but we have historically seen higher numbers of people going out in early voting. There's more highly early voting centers. If I'm just on Instagram now, there's just so many infographics. There's so much graphics, there's so much information that's being piled on for people to learn about voting and what exactly they should be doing to make their vote truly matter and truly count. So we know that the numbers have historically been low. I mentioned it earlier in the podcast, but let's be the year that we break that. Let's see if we can get above that 30% of people that are registered to go out and actually vote. So please, let's 
like this election season, the season where you make your vote matter and you go out to vote. Last podcast, we started a segment called Be an Ally. And so each time we're going to introduce different things that kind of just popped up in our week that we kind of want to tell you guys about and introduce you guys to. And we would love to hear what you're doing this week to be an ally to different communities. So this week, there's something that actually popped up on my feed, I think like a day or two ago. And I'm personally in the healthcare field and I'm very familiarized with a lot of scrub brands, and there's this really big one called Figs, and it's a pretty big scrub brand. It's considered very trendy, and they recently released an ad for their new neon scrubs. I believe they are pink scrubs, and they had a lot of misrepresentation of women and just the way that they portrayed women as ditzy, as like the way that they portrayed them like with an upside down book that said dummies for medicine book and and a lot of times in the healthcare field already women are portrayed being inferior to men within the healthcare system and not having the same knowledge and by like a healthcare company dismantling the role of women within healthcare so i think for me it's like you have to put your money where your mouth talks right so you have to make sure that the dollars that you're spending you're spending it towards companies that portray a message. And there are other scrub companies that I recently discovered. And there was a specific one that I thought was really cool that if you're in the healthcare system or you have to wear scrubs for your job that I think that you should support, it's called Dope Scrubs, which within the name, you'd think they're going to be trendy, they're going to be cool. And it's a Black-owned scrub company. So let's make a conscious decision this week to share with our friends and family things that we saw on our Instagram feed, that on our Facebook, that we saw in books or movies, and share with them, and let's have conversations about it. 